Okay, so we're ready. All right. Hello, Latinos in the clinical research community. Welcome back to another episode. I'm excited to introduce Dr. Bernardo Ng, board certified psychiatrist and principal investigator of Sun Valley Research Center located in Imperial, California. Dr. Ng was born in Mexicali, Mexico. He is a medical graduate from the University of Nuevo León in Mexico, who completed residency both at Texas Tech University and University of California, San Diego in the United States. Dr. Ng is certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, American Psychomedicine, and the Consejo Mexicano de Psiquiatría. Besides his private practice, his activities include the direction of the Sun Valley Behavioral and Sun Valley Research Centers in Imperial, California, and Centro Geriátrico Nuevo Atardecer in Mexicali, Mexico. Dr. Ng is a clinical assistant professor at UCSD, president of the Asociación Psiquiátrica Mexicana, and immediate past president of the American Society of Hispanic Psychiatry. He has 88 publications, including four 41 original articles, 30 abstracts, 10 book chapters, four handbooks, and three books. He has participated in the execution of over 75 clinical trials and has been certified as proficient in the administration of over 50 psychiatric clinical scales. That's a little background of um, about Dr. Ng. Um, so Dr. Ng, um, I guess um, we brought you on. We actually wanted to kind of get some insight as a PI. Uh, Hispanic PI working in a large Hispanic community in the rural area um, and just kind of get some background on you. How did you start in clinical research? Well, uh, again, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the interest. And I want to first uh, praise you for uh, putting together this community that you're developing. And uh, I want to insist that you keep working on this uh, because um, if there are few PIs doing um, who are Hispanics, I think in general, there are very few Latinos doing what you're all doing. So, uh, and this is uh, the one thing that we constantly tell ourselves, how is it possible that uh, being the largest minority in the country, in every profession, in every field, we continue to run into this, that we are so few or how many of us are in the country. And uh, so please keep on doing this. And uh, uh, after saying that, uh, the answer to Judy's question is that being in Imperial County, uh, where I started working uh, almost 30 years ago, it was uh, easy to become an expert in, in anything because there is nothing of a lot of things. So very quickly you become, um, if, if you're able to put together a team of whatever, you, you become an expert on anything because um, there is a great, great need for a lot of services. So back in 1993, when I first uh, was it 93 or 92? No, 93, when I first started commuting from San Diego to work over there, there was no research center. There were no clinical trials being done. So it occurred to me that we had to start one. Uh, we didn't open San Valley Research Center until 2008. Nobody else did that. And then came 2008, we opened Sun Valley Research Center. 
And since then, nobody else has opened another one. So that's the thing. I mean, in Imperial County, nothing happens. Uh, and I know that repeats itself in many other places in the United States. Rural areas are all over. Among the things that I've published uh, through the years, uh, I published about rural America. And reality is that 90% of the country is rural. Only 10% of the country is uh, urban. And that's where most of the action happens. But 90% of the country is rural. And if you only were willing for those that are in urban areas to drive a little bit further outside the urban areas, you would be very quickly in an area like Imperial County. And you don't have to miss the city's fun. You can do like Judy does uh, and, uh, and still enjoy both worlds. And uh, so anyway, that's the answer for, for, the, for that one question. If you end up running into a place like uh, Imperial County, um, which happens to be predominantly Hispanic, then you got it. But if you go to other areas, it could be Appalachian, it could be Native American, it could be African American, it could be Asian American, and just as rural and just as underserved. Um, let's see. So I guess, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm and always so preaching. Uh, I mean, we. this is like two things we can talk about. Sorry, Judy. <laughs> But I just thought of this. Okay. So I've, I've been preaching like rural for the longest time for site owners. You know, there's like Dr. Ng said, you know, there are rural, like 90% of the country is rural. The thing is, there's also uh, a research naive population in those places. I mean, forget about minority just for just research naive. And then if you compound that, with minority, like 90% Hispanic, 90% African-American, you can really do a lot of good for the industry and be rewarded proportionately to the value that you're giving to the industry. Because, I mean, yes, a lot of us live in the big metro cities or the suburbs. If you go a little further out, you know, those patients are not going to come necessarily all the way to your clinic, you know, and, and take a two-hour drive. So there's a lot of opportunity there, not just for minorities, but just for research naive in general. That, that's what I wanted to say. Sorry, Judy. Hey, Dan. Um, I just, um, hi, everybody. Sorry, came in a little late. Um, it's 4 p.m. I didn't work. Um, I did want to kind of mention a little bit to that. So I'm from the Rio Grande. Um, and there, you know, it's almost all roar just recently that there, you know, it's kind of coming up in the city scene. Um, but over there for general, just general physician, um, there's about, I think, 350 to 500 patients per general physician. And then when you get into specialists, it almost goes up to the thousands. And um, these doctors, you know, I originally worked at clinics. And so, and that's how I initially got into research through a site. And that doctor himself, he had four, uh, providers under him assisting with the research 
and they would see on average at least 120 subjects, 120 patients a day. Subjects wise, it would probably be around I think 30 to 40, but I mean, they were always extremely busy. And so it's just like Dan said, and you know, just like Dr. Bernardo said, it's, it's really important, you know, that we focus in on the rural areas and, and um, give them more attention. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I should say that it doesn't come without challenges because for us, it took years before we were able to send the message to the community that the research, participating in research was safe and even safer than participating in a regular doctor's visit, right? I mean, this word research, it took us a long time to demystify it, right? Because the guinea pig thing and stuff, it took us years to do that. Uh, and, and it was probably harder than it would have been in the metro area, we believe, because it took us, it, it, it was a, a, a problem. But once we did that, uh, it's been, I mean, it's not completely solved, but, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. I, I wanna say that it's not been completely solved. That's uh, interesting actually that you mentioned so the guinea pig thing you know like in the big cities i've always only had sites in the big cities that's about to change this year later um but yeah the guinea pig thing is like a never-ending battle that we get with patients but you bring up an interesting point in the rural community maybe because word of mouth is more powerful there because more people know each other it's actually easier it's less of a challenge than in the uh, no no things. i didn't That's say that point. i, I never didn't say of... no? i didn't say it was easier uh, it's, it's been hard it's been hard but but uh, we've had to invest a lot of uh, uh, of our efforts in 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 having in being accepted what what we discovered is that uh, our population is very giving the idea that they're participating, that their participation is gonna give something to other people has been the key to, to the success uh, of, of accepting us or, or them being willing to participate in research. Okay, I got you. Yeah, because that guinea pig thing oh, yeah. just doesn't go away. I mean, that's like an everyday battle. And by the way, guys, put your questions in the chat. I'm going to read a question. I'll read the questions as they come in. We got one for Dr. Ng. It's given the rural setting, are you guys leveraging remote video tech for study visits, informed consent, et cetera? Is that helping uh, with access? Is it even relevant? Or um, how are you guys utilizing the tech, if at all? We are using it. We're using it, and uh, we're we're in the process. Um, you'd be surprised that uh, the people are ready to go, but coverage is not that good. That there are pockets without that without good enough coverage. Uh, but uh, especially the younger people, they're they're very easy to adapt to technology, very easy. And, um, and here I'm also in, at the same, at the side, we also have an outpatient clinic. So what I'm answering speaks for both sides of the services that we provide. Uh, the youth, they're very, very easy to adopt. To this. Uh, but um, 
but the coverage is not that great in all the areas of the county. Uh, it's so, but the people they're, they're adapting well. Yeah, yeah, and just to add to that, um, just so you guys know, we implemented e-regulatory as of the beginning of January for all our new studies, and the end of last year we implemented e-source for all the new studies, and we actually, me and Dr. Ring actually worked on our first patient, um, we did the second visit yesterday, e-source, um, so we're still getting the hang of it, the flow of it, because it's, it's something new to us, we're so used to paper source documents, but that was our idea to transition electronically a while ago, um, I think we sped it up sooner with COVID. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to implement whatever we can to make it easier for everyone, ourselves, the patients, the monitors, the sponsors. And just um, to intervene real quick, Judy, uh, we are also wanting to do a series on different systems and stuff like that. So if there's any type of system that you would like more information on, leave it in the chat so that we also know that we can reach out to these companies and possibly get some sort of recording going on that we can provide to everybody on the side outside of webinars, because we're going to be doing things like that um, here and there. So any other information that you're, in you're interested in, please let us know. Thanks. Yeah, so Dr. Ng, I know you talked about sharing the message of clinical research in the community, but you as a physician and a PI, what has been your experience working um, clinical trials, um, trying to work with other providers, other physicians in the community, trying to recruit from outside of our clinic? What's been your experience? Well, the, in the training of, of becoming a physician, um, there's always this, uh, you know, you become an MD or you can become a PhD or, or you can become both at one point. And um, supposedly becoming an MD is to be there uh, on the trenches, seeing patient after patient, that's what being an MD is all about, right? Uh, but of course, there's always this glamour of becoming an, an investigator, becoming a professor, staying at the university. So, but all of us that come to an area like Imperial County, well, we're clinicians, right? We see patients in and out day after day. Uh, and some of us, uh, some of my colleagues here, uh, even though we are clinicians, we have this, this bug of wanting to see, you know, the, like, like, like this nostalgia about still being a professor or still being a, uh, an investigator or still being a researcher. So every time that I've approached them, they always say, yes, 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 let's do this. Let, let's, let's get onto it. I want to do the uh, clinical trials too. Even though that's not really research, because you're not investigating something. In fact, I mean, you're you're executing a trial that someone else designed, someone with the sponsor, right? You're you're not really designing the protocol. You're executing a trial, but still research, but not you're not yourself investigating something. You're you're executing something that someone else planned. So it's uh, almost the same thing happens almost all the time we always get very excited we go visit a doctor and 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 then it comes that they have to do all these trainings and sit in front of a computer and that comes a very boring part right they have to get certified in this certified on that so all the interest gets lost and they have to attend a meeting and attend another meeting and, and so, so out of uh, two or three times uh, 
maybe we get one doctor that goes through the whole training and really gets on board to refer patients or, you know, goes the extra mile. But my experience has been that it's very hard. You, you really need disciplined and really, really interested. And, and us as the, the site, we really have to be very friendly and very supportive with that doctor who's maybe uh, um, referring patients to us to keep them interested and keep them engaged to keep on sending us patients. So that's uh, that takes a lot of work. And, and I shouldn't be saying this because Judy does most of that work uh, on keeping them interested in, 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 in reaching out and following up to see what's happening uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting work, but when patients are knocking on your door and like Ash described, uh, this, the, the scenario is very similar as the one that she's describing in Del Rio. I mean, busy, busy, busy. And you forget that you had to do the training and you forget that you had to go and review lab work or review this. And, and so the clinical work takes over quickly and it's very hard to keep up with your research responsibilities. Uh, so, and, and then that comes the other thing. How busy are you with your research work to keep you busy the whole time and where you don't have to be doing clinical work anymore? And in my experience, it has had to be a combination all the time because it's not enough work of one to keep me so busy so I don't have to do the other part of the work. Um, so it's, uh, you have to be very self-directed otherwise, uh, or, or have someone like Judy that keeps uh, your schedule um, uh, straight. Um, so, so the experience has been mixed, uh, but so about every three or four doctors that or colleagues that I reach out for help, maybe one will will be very a very good uh, support, very good partner that keeps on sending patients and becomes engaged uh, with the research activities. Yeah, and uh, speaking about that, so we work mostly with psychiatry CNS trials. Why do you think um, it's hard to recruit from within our own practice, your practice, our database for the trials that we work on? Well, the one of the challenges with, with the psychiatric studies is that um, the real patients have a lot of comorbidities. And the trials are designed to be very pure patients, right? So uh, usually they need to be treatment naive. And we've been more fortunate with patients that we select uh, through our other lines of, uh, like through the advertising, through social media. And when they have not received any treatments anywhere, uh, they seem to meet the criteria easier, the uh, inclusion and exclusion criteria, uh, because the, 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 the because we are about the the only one or two treatment centers in the county. So by the time they come to treatment to us, they've already been treated by by a nurse practitioner or a family doctor or someone. So uh, they they've been. Uh, treated by different people or have developed several comorbidities. So that's what's made it harder. And um, 
so the the patients that which in a way has been very rewarding to me because the patients that end up coming through our other channels are patients that were not able to secure treatment otherwise so through our research center they end up getting uh, free evaluations free treatments and once they complete the trials then we direct them to other treatment centers and uh, and if they had not been for their participation on the trial, uh, they would have continued without treatment probably for another six months or so. So that's been very rewarding too. And as a PI and you know owner of a research center and thinking about when you started in research to now, um, do you think the protocols are more difficult? Do you think we have a lot more systems to use, a lot more things to do to kind of recruit the patient that we would have had to recruit 13 years ago. I mean, do you think it's too much of a burden, um, everything that we have to do when we start a study? As a well, investigator, like, what do you think? Definitely, definitely the protocols have become more demanding because of the, the, the all these, the sponsors are trying to overcome the uh, placebo response that has grown through the years. The placebo response in, in uh, trials in general has grown and in psychiatric studies has become even bigger. But at the same time, I think we've become better at, at performing, at executing the trials. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, uh, all these uh, requirements to become proficient at, at uh, clinical skills, uh, having to be, get certified over and over on the depression scales and uh, psycho psychosis scales and uh, mania scales have made me a better clinician. I mean, even my patients that I see in the regular clinic, I'm better at diagnosing them now than I was 10 years ago, uh, only because I'm forced to, to be training myself over and over again. Uh, but, uh, but I think that the, 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 the execution of the trials, uh, the selection of the patients has become harder. And, and that's, that's become challenging and interesting as uh, it's, it's intellectually challenging, but in general, and this is a very funny and interesting question they ask because when we get together in, in like in scientific meetings, like the American Psychiatric Association or the World Psychiatric Association, uh, we have these discussions that the industry needs to have the right results, right? I mean, they're investing so much money. So they have to have the right results. They have to have the right results. Otherwise, they cannot sell their products, right? And the only way to do that is to have very, very clean patients, very pure patients. So there's, there's no, and, and, and there's no argument with that. But when you get the papers published and you try to bring them to real life, you don't really find the patients. I mean, the real patients, the, the patients that we get at the clinic are not, are not like that. I mean, like right now, before connecting with you guys, uh, I'm supposed to record a conference 
in, in a week. Uh, and, and the name of the conference is The New Pharmacological Alternatives for Depression. Okay. So it turns out that since 2013, there have been no new antidepressants approved for major depressive disorder. It's almost going to be 10 years. Wow. And we haven't had a new antidepressant. We've had at least three products for treatment-resistant depression. And in fact, we're working on two products for treatment-resistant depression right now. At some other research, we are, right? But we don't have new products for MDD monotherapy. Why is that? Because they don't wanna take a chance, the, 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 the companies, right? Because of the placebo effect. So I know that the big minds are trying to reinvent a protocol, how they're gonna do it, where they're not gonna lose money. And it makes sense to do that. So who knows, the next monotherapy agent is gonna come with a very difficult protocol, I, I'm sure. It's gonna have to be a very big, or, or maybe a, a totally different molecule that we haven't worked with so far. But, but who knows? So sorry for the long answer, but uh, I think something, something new has to come because they are becoming harder. They are becoming harder. And, and what is your experience getting support from sponsor CROs when we're working on these studies, trying to recruit um, based on the various methods we have to use to recruit patients? No, oh, no, I, I, I think they become more and more strict. I mean, when I first got in, even before I met you, Judy, I, I, uh, when I first developed interest in, in opening a, a site, I remember the people I consulted with, it was, I mean, things were like so much easier to the point that the sponsor would come visit the site. And if uh, you were like halfway uh, equipped and you needed, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And, and the moment they saw that you had patients coming into your office, and you needed an extra printer or, an, or two more computers, they were in your, on your door three days later. I mean, like that. Really? Can we go back to those times? Can we go back to those times? Before you were talking about reviewing budget and regulatory, it was, oh, yeah, yeah, you needed an extra printer, right? And two more desktops. Yeah, they were there. I mean, it was wow. like, it was like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, those times are gone. <laughs> um, what about in regards to, um, I guess we won't talk so much financial, but overall, do you think we're spending more time and money finding that ideal patient to randomize compared to, I guess, how it was five years ago, 10 years ago? Oh, definitely. I, and I think the... Um, the, the uh, screen failures uh, have increased as well. And, and, and I don't mind the part on safety. I mean, I think, I, I think that's good too. And, and I think we have to uh, also be, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, as much as, as I get frustrated at the moment when, you know, that insulin was a bit too high or, or the liver function tests were a bit too high and, and that's why the patient has to be screen failed. 
I, I think I mean, they're participating in a trial. It's a phase three. We don't know what might happen. It's better to let the patient go. No argument with that. I mean, they have to be extra, extra uh, uh, observed and monitored. That's fine. But when I, I do get frustrated when um, uh, you go through the history and for some reason, uh, the depressive episode was one week too long than what the protocol accepts, right? Or, uh, I don't know, the, the, the score on the depression scale was two points off and therefore, you know, the patient doesn't make it. That's not very frustrating to me, but uh, it happens and, and, and you have to respect it. It's not your protocol, it's their protocol. It's their protocol. Um, so sometimes that, that, that gets to me and, and you've seen me get very frustrated uh, at times, but um, yeah, I, I think, but, but I think that they have to, to secure the consistency of the protocol. And the whole thing is to uh, make sure that they can keep the placebo response down. Otherwise, uh, you know, they're going to see millions of dollars down the drain. And, and that's, I mean, it's their investment. I, it's, uh, there's no other way about it. And all health conditions have a placebo response. It doesn't matter. Even those that get treated by surgery, even those that get treated by, uh, by other uh, more obvious interventions, depression does as well. So, or, or psychiatric conditions do as well. Uh, so there's probably a lot, uh, you know, a lot of people um, that are watching or will watch this who might want to get into research, might want to open their own site, um, maybe come from a rural community. What would be your recommendations to those people who are interested in getting into the field, but they're kind of not sure if they should? Well, um, you know, I'm an optimist and I think they should do it. I, um, I want to encourage, especially those who are uh, younger and uh, thinking of uh, uh, becoming, you know, are at crossroads of becoming an MD or not. Uh, and especially if, if you are Hispanic, become an MD. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it, uh, because having an MD license gives you an opportunity to do a lot of things, including research, uh, which uh, it, it, it opens a lot of doors. Um, and uh, it allows you to participate in many teams. Uh, and um, so that, that's very cool. <clears throat> and um, research comes in uh, also in a lot of flavors, uh, a lot of levels. Uh, uh, executing trials is, is, is a lot of fun. Uh, when, well, the meetings have changed a lot these days, but when you can attend uh, the investigation meetings uh, and listen to the researchers who are at the labs developing those molecules, the ones who are working with the rats and the animals and and, and they're telling you what they saw in the microscopes and, and, and how they foresee that, that they're gonna be working humans. It's fascinating. 
and to be part of that history, um, it's 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 a lot of fun. And and when I mean we've been working together so many years, Judy, but drugs that are right now in the market, um, and and we were the first ones giving it giving the drug in this country. Uh, and and now, I mean, it's normal that patients get them prescribed day in and day out, and, and we were part of the history of their getting in, get, getting prescribed to the first patients in the United States, and and doing that is great. I mean, we, I mean, nobody cares about us, right? But I mean, but we did it. We did it. <laughs> Doctor and <laughs> uh, I would like to piggyback in that question. Yeah. And, and what will be the benefits that you you will say uh, have to be a principal investigator owning a site? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know the benefit. There's a lot of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, well, look, I... Um, well, we've had good years and bad years, right? I guess, uh, and when we've had, uh, so I guess if you don't own it, you 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 see your paycheck the same every year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's the idea that you create something and you can keep it alive. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the I, I, I think is that challenge of creating something and, and, and know that you can keep it alive now for, in this case, over 10 years. And uh, I, I don't know. You know, the other thing is that if we didn't own it, it would have not existed because of the situation that I said at the very beginning. If we didn't, if Judy and I didn't open it, well, at the very beginning, it was three of us, it would have not existed. Probably Imperial County as of now still would not have had a, a research site. So there was no other option but for us to open it, to own it, uh, only because such is our, our community there. So, we, okay, so, so you see as a benefit that the, your community has the research uh, option. Yeah, yeah, not, not so much because it was, it was a greater benefit to us to own it instead of someone else owning it. But the community has it because we took the risk uh, and, and, and because we just did it. So it's fulfilling. <laughs> oh, very much, very, very much fulfilling. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and just to well, add to you. that, well, to make it successful, you have to have the right team. And of some of our staff have been with us, like from the beginning, actually several years. So without them, I mean, we really wouldn't be here today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so now seeing that, you know, you've had your site, you've been doing this for 13 years with Sun Valley Research Center, what's the next steps? What do you want to do with it now? I, everything necessary that it continues, even when I retire. 
I, uh, I'm not planning to retire anytime soon, but I just don't want to catch it, don't want it to catch me by surprise uh, because um, one of the things that, uh, and, and I want to put together that with what Dan said, one of the things that's hard with uh, in rural sites, uh, not only for research, but also for, for clinical settings, is that once you start something, is who's going to continue that, right? I mean, uh, we uh, you you open something, and and at the very beginning, the like even taking a vacation was very hard. Uh, you know, the first five years or six years. <clears throat> so that's something that um, uh, for those of you who are not in a uh, in urban areas. Um, you, you probably have had this experience as well, that uh, how do you, who covers for you when you're not, uh, when you're taking a vacation or taking a time to go uh, for continued education activities. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. And uh, in the meantime, we uh, really wanna grow and uh, we've been entertaining this thing about moving into uh, areas that are not of the central nervous system. And that, that was definitely our plan for 2020 and until <laughs> the pandemic happened. But, <laughs> but it, it, it actually, we, we actually moved on that direction. We, we have our first part of depression study, which is sort of a, a kind of an intersection <laughs> with uh, obstetrics and it's moved forward somehow. Uh, so that's, that's the first uh, study that's gonna be uh, uh, not completely uh, psychiatric. Um, and that's, uh, that's where we're at. Great. <clears throat> and we, um, I wanted to see if you can provide maybe a little short summary of COVID-19 in Imperial County, your experience as a provider dealing with it, um, you know, living in the community that has still a large number of positive patients, um, you know, everything going on. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah, we, we've been, uh, unfortunately, have had the honor that there for a while, where we were the county with the highest per capita uh, number of cases. And I think that happened around the summer. Um, and then uh, we had, we already had our first tier of vaccination now. Um, we have a uh, large elderly uh, community. In fact, one of my other uh, business uh, ventures was a, a day program uh, for seniors, and had, that one has been greatly affected. Uh, I still see the patients, and they've really missed, and they've been affected because they no longer can attend the program. Um, they they've been receiving services by phone and and receiving some materials to to continue uh, some activities. Um, they are um, um, so it's 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 a it's a community that has been affected greatly. At the office, several of us already contracted the virus, and 
and been recovering at, at different phases through the year. Um, we've taken a lot of measures. Actually, from the beginning, we moved to virtual visits very quickly. We're sanitizing the facility every day. We removed chairs from the uh, uh, waiting area, but we're hardly receiving anybody in person. Uh, we provide uh, TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, and we canceled those services at the beginning. We only have one active patient right now. Um, everybody who goes to the office, that not everybody does, but everybody who does wears a mask all the time. Um, and uh, we're looking to, we have applied to become a vaccination site and a testing site. Uh, we were in the process, application process. We don't know if we will become either one or not. Uh, what we do know is that measures will continue like this for 2021. If everything goes well, we know that vaccination will be completed in, in the country to, until the end of the summer, which means to us that in a region like ours, it will probably be until the fall because everything comes a little delayed in Imperial County. Uh, so that means that, uh, I mean, this situation, lockdowns, social distancing and all that will probably remain the same until October or November. So, uh, so that's, that's what I can comment. And sorry, I didn't say it in a very organized <laughs> way. Uh, that's kind of where we're at. And actually, I just saw a comment come in about a research site can apply to become a vaccination center. I believe so, because actually we got local guidance that any clinic physician that was interested could apply. I actually did apply for research. We had to sign up for, um, I think it's called, C I mean, we're in California, so it's called CAIR, where you have to register if any, any office that gives vaccines. I guess there's this central system that you report all the vaccinations to. Um, so that's the first step. I was able to do that for research. We got approved actually a lot of more new patients, adults, children, because we work with all of them. Um, what, yeah. what has been your experience? Well, I, I can divide it in children and adults. Um, and, and it's funny because some have done better and some have done worse. So with children, the ones that are uh, have uh, fall within the category of uh, autistic uh, spectrum, actually uh, most of them are doing better because they're not socially challenged uh, having to go every day to school. So in some of them, I have had to actually been able to reduce the dose of the some of the medications that I prescribe. Um, others, uh, the ones that are more socially, uh, uh, that depend more on seeing their friends, they're getting more depressed. Uh, I've had a couple of suicide attempts, on teenagers in the, in the course of the last 10 months. With adults, I've had a couple of people that definitely developed what was, uh, uh, described as the COVID stress syndrome, and which is the syndrome where you're constantly seeking for reassurance, washing your hands all the time, constantly obsessed about having caught the virus. Um, this particular patient was uh, 
uh, sanitizing the uh, the TV remote over and over again, and 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 every, if if one of her adult uh, she has two adult children that go to work, uh, the moment they came back from work, anything they touched, she would clean over and over again. Um, unfortunately, came one day where she was so tense that her husband invited her to have a couple of beers. Uh, she felt better, kept on drinking, and she ended up cutting herself. Seriously, she ended up hospitalized uh, like that. And then, um, as I was saying a while ago, the elderly patients, the ones that have uh, uh, had to stay home a lot and without the social stimulation, they've had their memory problems getting worse. So definitely uh, the isolation has made some of my patients worse, uh, except for the ones, as I said, the children who are within the autistic spectrum. And um, so the ones with ADHD, some of them have adapted to distance learning, some have not. And, uh, uh, and then there's a mixed, uh, aside from that, uh, so, for example, there's a, there's a population that they've done very well. Uh, I have a lot of patients who are Jehovah's Witnesses, and they've done very well. Jehovah's Witnesses managed to stay connected very, very well through Zoom, and uh, they have their, all their religious activities uh, on the same schedules that they regularly do. And uh, they don't go out at all like they usually do. Uh, they, they have very, very good leadership. Uh, they've done very well. In fact, some of them are doing better than before the pandemic. Um, and what I've also noticed are the people that used to work out regularly and they managed to continue working out indoor, they've done very well too. So it's, it's very variable. Uh, people, there are people who've adapted well and people who haven't. So it is a very interesting year uh, from that perspective. And uh, however, uh, mental health will continue to be an issue even after the pandemic is over, even after the vaccination. Uh, there's a lot to learn from this on the aftermath uh, of the pandemic, I'm sure. Thank you, Dr. Ang, very much for your time. I want to get into some questions and then we do like we can do a mix of Q&A. And this is these are questions that really anyone can answer if you have experience, not just you, Dr. Ang. Um, but of course, we want to hear from you first. Um, and then we do some networking at the end. Think of it like a virtual mixer. All right. Where people can just kind of network see who can help each other out. Maybe somebody has a study lead for someone else. Uh, who knows? Could be anything. Like, so this first question, can a research center apply to become a vaccination center? And I mean, I have my thoughts on this, but anyone else want to uh, chime in? Feel free. And then before we end, I got to ask Judy a question. So remind me, Judy. Yeah. Okay. 
And I think we, you know, um, I, I, I asked that question earlier, but yes, a research center can apply. I know in Imperial County, we were able to, so I would recommend checking with your local public health office, um, watch, um, reach out to them and see what the steps are. But I assume you are going to have to register on a national database about giving vaccines. I don't know what it's called in every state. It's the same thing. Um, yeah. but definitely look into that. And this is another example of where rural is better, right? Because I'm here in Anaheim. We have Disneyland. That's a vaccination center. I'm not, my clinic's not going to get that. You know, we have Disneyland here. They're the vaccination center, but in, in, in smaller places, you know, that that might be opportunity there. Another question from Marjorie. How's it going? Marjorie from Topaz research. How are you guys doing? Uh, The question is, how do we as a research site reach into the Hispanic community? What have you guys offered them in order to create the trust to go to your site? Very good, very practical question. Um, Judy or Dr. Ng, uh, what do you guys do? What's your magic over there? (laughs) Okay, the the one thing that that is to stress on the very obvious, that if you compare what, what goes on all the safety measures that go along with the with the visits and the clinical trial are triple or quadruple what happens on a regular visit with the doctor. So I, I insist on pointing that out. And for example, right now that we have a couple of adolescent trials, which happen to be medications that are already approved for adults. So I, I stress that out. I said, look, uh, if you were coming to see me on the regular clinic site, I would be probably prescribing the same medication to your son or your daughter, because that's what we do. It's off-label, but that's what I do because it works, right? And I wouldn't be required to be drawing so much blood or checking all these things on your son because it's not required on okay. that. Thank you. But- But here on, on this protocol, I'm obligated to do it. And it's going to be completely free for you. So I, I underscore the safety measures uh, a lot. That's, that's one of the things. And the other thing is what I mentioned a while ago, that uh, it's, it's for the little time that, that the protocol is, the results, whatever they are, they're going to be helping in the future to other children. The results will be helping. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, aside from that, we do have somebody that does marketing outreach with us in the community. They are actually, well, I mean, before COVID, because COVID changed all of that. They were out in the community. They were attending health fairs. They were following up at doctor offices. Think of it like a pharmaceutical rep. You know, they're there like every week on a specific day trying to meet with the doctors and they bring like coffee, snacks. So we kind of started kind of doing that model, like go to the doctor's office, follow, take coffee to the front office, because the front office staff are the ones you want to make friends with they're the ones that are going to allow you into the office they're the ones that are going to let you meet with the doctor the pa the np so we were kind of starting to do that and it was starting to work but then covid hit so we actually put a lot of that on hold but we're trying to restart it again slowly um, but definitely have somebody being the face of the research center in the community um, does help a lot with recruiting uh, and education. I've always talked about this education, ed- educating the community about clinical research you have to do. You have to continue to do. If they don't know what research is, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to take the flyer. They're not going to call your office. They're not going to come in. So you have to continue to educate and you'll be surprised how many doctors don't really know about research, how many 
other providers, clinics don't really know about research. So you do have to put in the time, effort, work. Okay, we got another question. What is your, and we kind of answered this, but maybe you just want to give like a, you know, quick one. What is your strategy to enroll patients during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Which is a loaded question, <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what do you guys do there? I think that the main thing was, or the main thing was to point out the difference compared to, to all the other times. They were very safe at, at the site, you know. They were all wearing protection, that the place is sanitized, that they're being scheduled when nobody else is going, or, you know, that they're not going to be overlapping with another patient. Uh, and uh, so, so that they feel safe when they come in. Yeah, as Dr. E mentioned, we stress that a lot. We have it on our website. When we contact the refer, um, a referral and follow up and confirm, we tell them all of this. We've had to change the way we do our visits instead of working in a small consultation room to actually going to our conference room so we could spread out and have the six feet apart. Um, but it has slowed down a lot. Recruitment has been hard during COVID. I don't have the answer to that. If you do have the answer, share it with me. We're still trying all these things to figure that out um, because it has been so difficult and slow to recruit for all our studies. Okay, last question before uh, I ask Judy my question, and then we'll let we'll unleash total chaos and just on everyone okay. unmute and introduce yourself what you do and all that kind of stuff and we'll go like 10 minutes with like helping each other out add two more questions okay chris chris has a good one well now you guys get all the questions coming through okay chris says what percentage of your enrolled patients comes from your clinic database opposed to outside your clinic just like a rough estimate uh what do you think well it's it's it's, it's gone more outside the, the our database well our clinic we've been building a database from outside but i guess like five to one judy five or six to one yeah yeah so as dr ing mentioned uh, many years ago it was a lot easier to recruit within our practice and to get them but now since the protocols are so complicated the criteria is so complicated it excludes a majority of dr ing's private practice it also excludes a majority of the patients already in our ctms system so then we have to go to the next option like where are we going to find these patients in the community and that's that's the struggle we've had with some studies yeah, these studies are so tough nowadays. They ex exclude most anybody. Yeah. Uh, okay, how do we find Hispanic physicians in the community? I like this question. How do we find Hispanic physicians in the community for clinical research? Um, I don't know. Who wants to answer this one? Could be anybody. What we need is to tell your children to become doctors. So that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I got two. I got, I got that's the long. I got two. Strategy. Maybe one will make it. <laughs> Very long time is preference there, for your uh, return on investment. Is there any, is, but be is patient. There any group that, that that you assist that has just like Latinos uh, doctors, MDs. Oh, yeah. Um, the American Psychiatric Association has a Hispanic caucus. And, um, and let me, let me, I'll, I'll give Judy how you can reach them. Uh, thank you, doctor. Uh, by the way, my name is Monica Quitiva, and I would like to say thank you 
for being part today of our Latinos in Clinical Research. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, very generous of your time. Lee, Lee Laptop is asking, <laughs> I know who Lee is, but Lee Laptop is asking a question. Elizabeth Delgado, shout out to you. You're on the call and is a new coordinator at their clinic. Um, plenty of experience as a medical assistant, but new to research. So what advice can we give to her? Um, so she's new to clinical research and you're trying to train her, I assume, into like a research assistant coordinator position. I mean, you have qualified. to, or you're not qualified. Do you have somebody else on staff who's qualified who can train her? Yes. Or you do. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much, I mean, it's really going to take that one-on-one -on -one training with someone who is already experienced in the field. Um, you know, start with the basics, um, patient screening, how to understand inclusion, exclusion criteria, protocol, and then start, you know, training them on the other procedures um, and see what they can do. Um, sometimes they're better at some things than others, um, but it does require, I mean, really one-on-one -on -one training. Um, to get someone um, to that level of being able to do what you need to do for research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lee, otherwise you can register here in the CRC Academy. <laughs> I like that. I love that answer. Yes. I promise you will really good. She's got might be easier. That might be easier. <laughs> That's much more easier. This is what we do. Guys, I, I have to go see patients. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, thank, thank you, thank Dr. Inga. Very you. much appreciate you. it for your time. I'd love to have you back on again. Right, but thank point. you. Uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, guys, I had blocked him only from two to three. So he's back to back with patients. <laughs> yeah, no problem. That's uh busy, busy PIs, but it's good. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we're, we're going to unleash chaos here anyways. <laughs> but uh, I think Hispanic doctors can be the most complicated type of investigator. This is not me saying this, guys, somebody mm -hmm. else saying this. Hispanic doctors can be the most complicated type of investors. Mm -hmm. Uh, other physicians are a bit more open-minded. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Monica? I'm trying to think which PI is uh, Hispanic that uh, I work with regularly. I can't. Well, I have a big I background with one. different physicians. And I, hon I honestly think that that can, that's very speculative. It's definitely brought it out. I think based off of personal preference and position and also, you know, their, their, I guess, view thought process. So um I've dealt with at least four different research physicians and even behind that other physicians in different specialties. And so definitely I think that that's based off of doctor per doctor. Um, but of course, if you've only worked with, you know, Hispanic physicians then it might be a little skewed or biased, but for sure. Yeah, I agree I, with you. It mm -hmm. goes case by case. It's not really, mm -hmm. it, it's not, I mean, I will not generalize because it's just, uh, depending on what their interests are. Uh, <laughs> I like yeah. that though, actually. That's spec as speculative as yeah. Ripple, XRP. Yes, XRP, you guys want to go down a rabbit hole, XRP. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's go with the um, total chaos. Just everyone unmute yourself if you want. Um, talk about what you do and uh, um, how we can help each other because you never know who's listening on the other end of their laptop or computer, you know, what they can do or what you can do. Uh, let's go about 10 minutes of this. I'm going to mute myself and you guys, uh, and I'll jump in if I have an answer or something good for somebody. Sure, I, I could go. Yeah, um, sure. My name is Leticia and um, I'm located in the Bay Area in California. 
Um, just uh, for me, I think it's it's exciting. I'm really happy that the community that's uh, this is my first meeting. Couldn't make the I guess the former one, but just to give you some background. Um, so I work with Linea System, and we are in the uh, clin clinical trial technology space, but we also mm -hmm. provide uh, services uh, coupled with the um, application that really uh, helps to streamline and automate uh, site identification, feasibility, and activation. Uh, part of the services that we also provide is working with um, anyone running clinical trials, whether on the sponsor end or CROs, helping with investigator site selection. Um, so really just here to uh, network and uh, to share um, you know, just information about opportunities and, and to learn from the broader community. Really have a, also a specific interest in uh, diversity and ensuring that our clinical trials do um, have the, um, you know, the strength of, of you know, being uh, diversified in terms of the patient population and the investigators. Awesome. Thank you nice to so meet you. Much. Mm -hmm. Nice to meet you. I did, I did want to mention um, also the reason we want to get to know you all is because we want to showcase our members for time. We also want to be getting to know you all each individually, you know, uh, doing one-on-one -on -one interviews because regardless of your position, uh, whether PI, MA, a lab technician, you know, you're all part of a very essential process. And we want to showcase that to the rest of the organization, the community. Um, so if you are representing an organization, if you are part of an actual site, um, whatever it is that you do, if you could do something great to present to the organization, or you'd like to share a little bit about yourself and, and a little bit about your site, we'd love to hear from you. So please, you know, feel free to reach out to me, Judy, Dan, or Monica, um, so we can schedule with y'all, especially uh, um, in my situation where I want to, you know, network with those that are behind with the actual, uh, you know, any type of tech we want to bring out to the community and make all sites aware and PIs aware of how we're linking with them and, and um, all of that good stuff. But yeah, anybody else want to introduce themselves? I'll introduce Hi. myself. Oh. Sorry. Oh, you go. go Belkis. We love Belkis. We just did a Hi. podcast. We just did how a podcast. How's it going, yes, Belkis? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, can't complain, you know, let's um, just uh, looking forward to uh, unleashing complete chaos within networking. Let's see how this goes. Yes, absolutely. We're down here in South Florida. Um, we tend to get a little busy. We have uh, diversity and we are also trying to address some of these issues that we keep encountering, as I've mentioned before. Um, it's wonderful to be part of Latinos and, and bring more awareness to our community. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be sitting on, on here today. It's, uh, it's been very uh, informative. So anything I can do to help, I'm available um, and uh, happy to help. I'm always happy to give a helping hand here. Thank, Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. It's nice to meet all of you. Yes, absolutely. I'll go there. My name is Alfredo, I'm a foreign medical graduate. I'm relatively new in the States. I just came here a couple of years ago. I come from Bolivia and I decided to get into clinical research last year. So I, I got into a, a very intensive course here in Phoenix, Arizona. 
And I went to work and it was completely different than what I expected. Of course, I had more than 35 years of medical practice. And uh, I, I, I didn't want to make medical practice in the States because it's too complicated. So I got into clinical research and uh, in a rare disease, neurological disease uh, investigative center. And it was quite, a, quite an experience. I learned a lot. I received a lot of training. Uh, but unfortunately, the site downsized. And since uh, October last year, I've been trying to get into more, you know, like a, a research coordinator. But it's so difficult. And it's, uh, maybe I'm not going the right way. So when I saw uh, Judy's site, I mean, I just, uh, I, was, I was really surprised and I was very happy. So maybe I, I could learn something. And uh, well, I learned a lot with Dr. Bernardo's today. And uh, well, it's, it's so good to meet you. And it's so good to know that Latinos are moving on and moving forward in clinical research. And uh, yes, actually what I'm doing right now is looking for opportunities. <clears throat> nice to meet you. We might have to talk later, Alfredo. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Hi, we'll, we'll go next. Um, my name is Lucia and this is my business partner, Bianca. We are the founders and directors of Absolute Clinical Research, um, an integrated side network with four different clinics across the valley. Um, we have been wanting to join and be more involved with Latinos in clinical research and finally got the opportunity to join a meeting. We're very excited as a large part of our population um, are Hispanic participants. So we definitely wanna increase that and see how we can help other sites in our community as well. Um, was that the valley in Rio Grande or Cali? We're in Phoenix, actually. We're going to have to connect oh. with Alfredo. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you guys are close. Yeah, that's right. You guys are close. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Did you say you're here in Phoenix too? I am. Oh. We have a site at 43rd and Thomas. See, oh, okay. this networking is good. I'm going to be yeah. in you no, We're neighbors, actually, because we're on Where 43rd and Northern. <laughs> Where are you 43rd Avenue and Northern. So oh, we're, yes, we're super close to each other. Oh, yeah, 43rd Ave and Northern. Okay, yeah, so we're right on the road. Are you West Valley Research? Yes. Yeah, okay. I did see you pop up on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, nice to meet you all. Oh, Lee, Lee is the man. See. Lee is active wow. on LinkedIn. Lee is like when he puts his mind to something, Lee laptop just goes. He goes. Uh, but yeah, we made a connection already. Hello. Hello, this is Ana Caro from Mexico. I'm very happy to be with you and thank you very much. And I wish you all are fine and healthy during this pandemic. And as everyone, I'm very glad to be with you and learning a lot from all of you. Thank you very much. From Mexico, anything you need, I am now part of you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Where in Mexico are you? Uh, I am in Mexico City. Mexico City. Mexico okay. City. Wow. <laughs> and, and do you work in, uh, I need to go are there. you a uh, investigator? Uh, you work in research? Uh, what well, area? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Seven years ago, uh, I was a 
senior CRA for the Pfizer mm -hmm. and Roche. Mm -hmm. That was my experience. But uh, after uh, 2011, I became a CRC in a hospital of the family, uh, family business, learning uh, a lot of you. Something are different in Mexico, but most of all are the same. And um, I'm glad to see all the postcards from then and now from you. I'm still learning. I think every every day we learn a lot. Thank you very much for everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank, you, Thank so you. Nice to meet you. And one of the <laughs> I see Mari Mayorga, one of the nicest people yes. I've ever met on LinkedIn. <laughs> On, if you guys don't have the pleasure to be connected with Mari Mayorga, you need to. It's just like seriously one of the nicest people I've ever met online. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, Monica. And you guys really appreciate time, training, and everything. So my name is Mari Mayorga. I'm PhD research. Uh, I was working in a very close medical university. Neomed, North Ohio Medical University, is like 20 minutes from Cleveland. Well, unfortunately, I closed my laboratory because we didn't have any funds. As you know, as a PhD, we have to write our grants. Mm -hmm. So I submit probably 20 grants to the NIH. And I go to grants from American Heart Association but the situation forced me to close my laboratory. So I just moved in into clinical research, but unfortunately I cannot have any kind of opportunity because it's very hard, you know? First of all, because I don't have the full training and trying to do kind of training, but not like full complete training. So I just unfollow like Dan or Monica's in all YouTube videos, but you know, I just looking for a position. Sure. It's very think... hard when you don't have the training, people don't believe you. Can you tell in them? Cleveland. 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 It depends that I have like 20 paper, uh, 40 papers. I have like almost four grants and I have a patent now. Um, it's hard, it's very hard, so. Yeah, we gotta, we actually have to collaborate maybe because um, I'm always, well, not always, but I'm always getting, I'm often getting asked for uh, grant writers and I, you know, I don't know any um, so maybe we can talk oh, like please. on LinkedIn. Happy you. too. Yeah, I didn't know that actually about you. You have my. I didn't know the grant writing part. But I think you have my CV. I sent it to you. Oh, um. I gotta look through the email. Yeah, but that's that's good to know because the grant writers are really. I think last time we talked about, um, there was a doctor from Colombia on, and we were talking about like how do we do investigator initiated <laughs> trials. I think there's like a wide open business there because all the grant writers I talk to, I mean, they're like mortgage brokers. Like right now, you can't even get them to call you back. Like, um, I don't know what's going on. So the one who answers the phone is the one that's going to get the business these days.
I agree. I agree. Hi, everybody. I'm Marjorie Guzman with uh, Topaz Clinical Research in Apopka, Florida. Here's Carla, my business partner, Carla. Hello, Carla Francisco, Topaz Clinical Research, Apopka, Florida. <laughs> um, and we are in Central Florida. And uh, my, Mary, I'm so happy to meet you because we actually have thing. been going through the same thing, trying to figure out there are opportunities for grants. As a clinical research site, we're also looking to open up a pediatric office. We are Hispanics, we're females, and I'm a veteran. So I know that there's grant out, grants out there to help us out, help us expand our businesses besides waiting on a PPP loan. Um, there is other opportunities. It's like, how do we even start writing a grant? Where do we even start looking? Who's out there to help us? And like Dan mentioned, it's hard to get in touch with anyone. And if hard. they do, yeah. And, and the first thing they say is like, oh, you're a research site. Let's, you know, let's charge you a whole eye and a leg. I mean, that's, that's what they're looking at. So, I mean, I think that the grant writing, maybe focusing on our types of businesses could be a great opportunity to present yourself like that, because that is something that we are definitely looking for. Um, oh. Carla, Carla tried to sit down and, and, and figure out how do we write a grant. Yeah. And we were like, oh my God, we don't even know. Time, we, there's yeah. so many numbers that we have to know, this number, yeah. that number, and we, we had no idea. And we just well, don't have the time for it. All of us didn't know, Marie is the most wanted. <laughs> yes. Oh, you never know, you know? <laughs> I, but I asked first. So Dan asked first. I asked second. So, so you have our, you have to get our info to you. I kid you not. Know, one out of ten. Person, I really like it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's part of my, I know I'm in research like almost 20 years, like writing papers, grant every two months, you know, because it's the only way that you can get some money for the lab. One out of 10 physicians, one out of 10 physicians I talk to, they don't, they don't care about the money in research. They just want to do their own kind of study and get a grant. And mm -hmm. I get stuck like I, including my new PI in Yuma, you know, he was asking me about, can you write grants for me? And I want him to join. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can definitely do that. But I have no idea how we're going to do that. Um, so <laughs> now we have married my own. Yeah. Well, but you know what? Writing grant is not easy. No. Because NIH have very good standards. So it's, it's, it's not easy. I submit a lot of grant to NIH. And mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't get one. Wow. So, and by the way, my my investigation line is cardiovascular disease. This is what I'm doing during all my trajectory research. So, but happy to help if I can. Huge, Why huge not? demand for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to add to Marjorie, that's funny you mentioned about grants because actually I was looking into it last year since we're located in a rural community, Hispanic, if there was a way to get grants to promote clinical research. Like there's this thing, I don't know if you guys have heard of promotoras. Um, I think in like LA County and certain areas, there's promotoras and their job is to go educate the community about certain conditions. Um, they're usually funded by some type of grant, community grant. Um, so I actually started looking into it. Is it possible to do that through research? Because we don't really have that going on in Imperial County. Exactly. Um, I didn't get very far though, because then I saw you have to write a bunch of stuff and it gave up. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm actually been researching since a few, probably a few weeks ago, uh, that you mentioned about the uh, being a female's uh, diversity and all that stuff. Uh, if we could get benefits out of it, and yesterday I found a website that I could send uh, everybody. Uh, it has some information about it, uh, but I will still be researching more and, and I will be sharing information. Yes, please. Yes, because I mean, we, we, you know, we are a Hispanic site, minority owned, female owned and veteran owned. And I know that there's opportunities there are. And, and like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we are going to create a whole side of the building for it. But maybe there is a grant out there to help promote the community. No, maybe there is a grant. I mean, we know that there are non-for-profits in the area that are getting grant money um, and spending money just to spend money. So that's another story. But the, the point is, is that there has to be other opportunities for our small businesses. Yeah, and to, have you guys connected with your local small business administration offices? Sometimes they have a different name, like ours is called Imperial Valley, I think, Development Workforce. Um, so connect to them, sign up for their newsletters. They're sending information every week about various grants, various loans, anything regarding PPP, EIDL, plus all the other stuff. Um, sometimes they offer free marketing, um, outreach consultation services. Sometimes they offer free um, train you on how to do social media, um, but it's uh, you're through your local SBA office. Um, so I would go to the main website and just put your zip code and see what pulls up and connect yourself with them. Thank you. Thanks, Judy. Mm -hmm. And another thing that we I would like to mention is one of the ideas that we have within the Latinos in clinical research is to create a database uh, with everybody that is part of the Latinos in research uh, by um, uh, areas. So for example, just all the clinics and people that provide certain services so we can help each other and have available this database. But in order to do it, uh, obviously we will need all that information from you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we're going to send um, an, an email to everybody so that way we get all that uh, data and we can organize that to start providing services in between all of us and help each other because obviously that's the best way uh, to, uh the, the best the, the the one of the benefits of belonging a, to a community yes and to piggyback on that you know just if, if you all have not yet actually gone into the website the organization website we have a login there where you can put in your credentials, you know, your your full name, your your contact information, um, and if you can do that, that would be great, just so that we can have, you know, uh, for sure, uh, all your information available. And um, you know, if you are wanting to reach back out to us after we send the email, if you can provide us information about your site or where you work, what you do, um, so again, we can sort through everybody and see how we can help you out more directly. Um, because, you know, there are certain things that we want to discuss or we want to bring up as topics um, for y'all. But just, of course, to be giving some insight to our members, you really want to do that. So just, you know, if you haven't done that, please um, do that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Who else? Who else needs to go? And by the way, in the comments, I like the LinkedIn. Everybody should connect with one another. Um, and then who else wants to introduce themselves or reintroduce themselves maybe uh, i'll speak up this is joe gal from charleston south carolina um tori was on here earlier with me my colleague but i work for a 
IT company in the clinical trial space, specifically uh, with the participant payment space called Greenfire with the ClinCard. Mm. Uh, it's a reloadable debit card that optimizes the efficiency of making participant payments. Um, and we actually have a virtual card coming online soon in the next few months. So that might be helpful for rural sites to be able to disseminate a, a payment card remotely. Um, but I actually found out about this group um, through Danielle Coe, um, the founder of the Black Women in Clinical Research, when she and I participated this summer in the White House um, initiative on HBCUs, historically black, historically black colleges and universities. Um, but our company, uh, we're actually gonna be interviewing Danielle Coe, I am, next month to describe her initiative. And maybe that's something we could do um, with some folks here um, in the future, but then put that information out on LinkedIn and just continue to network. Um, you know, our overall goal, at least mine is, I've been in clinical research for 30 years um, with the 20 years in the academic medical center, uh, 10 years in the VA headquarters in Washington, DC. Um, but just the whole issue of the underrepresentation in clinical trials in terms of the patient participation and the workforce. And this group's really interesting to me because you're focused on the workforce. And I think it's a real opportunity for us to work together um, to promote the workforce, which can drive the inclusion in among the participants. So um, that's kind of my background and, and why we continue to participate. Awesome. awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Definitely need to collaborate for sure. Yeah, we sure. can all use a clin card around here. We all have. Trio seems too expensive. Well, we have, yeah, true. We have to talk. Um, <laughs> um, surely. I'm happy to have a discussion with you offline. Um, yeah. And see where we can go from there. Thank you. Sure. Hi, hello everyone. I go, I'll go the next. Oh. Hello. hello. Hi. Uh, my name is Manali. And I, first of all, thank you everyone, especially Dan. This is how I got connected. Thank you, um, Manali. Yeah, my background is in medicine. I'm a foreign MD. Uh, I did my MBA over here and got into clinical trials. Uh, currently, I work with as a clinical risk director in one of the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I, I've been looking for diversity in clinical research, and that's how I started looking for. We are looking for patients from a diverse background, especially Latinos and Asians. Uh, so that's the reason I wanted to research more about it, the community, how to get into it. Uh, so we can get more patients in that area. And other than that, there's a lot of good information and knowledge to be connected with all of you and um, get more insight into the clinical research space. And that's what I'm loving about this group actually. So, thank you. Thank, so, you. thank you. So I, I just want to mention, I have a few of my staff on here and I know they're on mute and no camera, so I'm going to introduce them. Uh, Michelle Dowling is one of my study coordinators, Rosie, R-O-S-S-Y. Um, Rosie Sanchez, she's another study coordinator who's actually been with us pretty much since we started. 
And I think Leslie Ruiz is also on here and she's our uh, research assistant. And actually, just to give you a short story, she started, she reached out to me. She was looking to volunteer to get experience. Um, she's working on her bachelor's in psychiatry at a local uh, community college. Uh, her professor encouraged them to reach out and see if they can volunteer anywhere. I brought her on. Next thing you know, like a month later, my research assistant um, resigned and guess what? She got offered a research assistant position. So now she's with us, um, paid position within like, I think a month and a half. Awesome. That's awesome. And a great way to ensure that your staff is working is have them on the Latinas in Clinical Research. Right. Make sure that they attend. <laughs> uh, Judy, I had a couple questions for you. So one, one of them was... Um, well, actually, the community college thing is very interesting to me. I think that a lot of these community colleges, especially in smaller areas, I got this idea from ASU, actually, my arch rival uh, from University of Arizona, Arizona State University, the Sun Devils. Uh, they were trying to do a community-based research. They had a bunch of consultants send in proposals, and then they chose nobody and probably like integrated all the ideas themselves. But... I think there is an opportunity for uh, community colleges to get involved, especially in rural areas with research, like the same exact model that ASU was mm -hmm. trying to do. Why just let the big universities right. do it? I mean, why not do it at a community college level? So if you or your staff know anybody from that place, I have the entire blueprint for how to do it. And you guys have the infrastructure there. I'm looking to do the same thing in Yuma and anyone else in any other rural area, I mean, you know, just go to your university, college, community college. Um, that was just an idea I got just right now from from you talking to your staff. So uh, thank you for that. And I had to ask you, Judy, OK, you, your business, you've owned it for 10 years in a rural area, but you live in San Diego. Yeah. So for somebody else out there watching, you know, they're like, hmm, you know, maybe I live in Miami, but I should be, I don't know, someplace like where the tigers are, like, you know, those zoos where people pay to go see tigers or someplace rural, right outside of outside of Miami. How do you manage it? Because it's for you, it's like a two and a half hour um, drive, right? Well, it's not like just so you guys know, <clears throat> I live in San Diego County, but our office is in Imperial County. Um, so I actually live close to the eight freeway. The eight freeway takes you straight to Imperial County. So from my office to, I mean, from my house to my office, it's like an hour and a half drive, give or take 15 minutes. There is no traffic going there. There is hardly no traffic coming back. So I don't mind doing it. Now, um, the reason I do it is because I love to do it, obviously, the opportunity, but I always considered if I worked in San Diego, I'd probably have to work in North County. My commute would be an hour and a half, two hours, maybe at each way. 20 miles. Yeah, just yeah. to go. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's traffic sitting, you know, wasting time. So um, I did, I've been doing it actually for 13 years since we had a research center. But then prior to that, my other company um, tried to open an office down there and I was going down I think like one or two years before that so actually I've been going like 15 years back and forth wow yeah. that is dedication yeah it is but you know it's one of those calm drives it's desert area mountains so I mean I get to think about a million things I gotta do when I get there and then it I really get there. is yeah and it's I do like five. <laughs> you can use Especially that time to listen yeah. right like de-stress 
at night you can see from all the light pollution here you don't see any stars when you go out there I was like what yeah. am I looking at I didn't know it was the sky yeah. looked like that exactly and then I get to catch up on Dan- Dan's podcast so there you go yeah exactly <laughs> that's where I catch up on all the interviews I didn't know nighttime looked like that like that dark, until I got out yeah. of the city and like started looking I was like wow a little bit scary <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to move into the building yeah. so we don't have to drive. <laughs> I just have to drive an hour and a half. If I could move into the lab, I would. I mean, <laughs> I I will have I have to leave just because I have class at the CRC Academy. Oh yeah, good plug. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you everybody thank you, for being like, uh, part today of our Latinos in Clinical Research. Happy to have all of you here, and uh, and wonderful to fe- uh, wonderful to meet. Uh, more Latinos and more, uh, I mean, not just Latinos, but in general community that are interested on diversity. Yes. Yep. Good so job. Nice to meet you. And Daniel, you I think right? Daniel Torres, um, maybe you're the last one that wanted to um, oh. introduce yourself. I think Thank it you. was you, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, so uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Daniel. Uh, I am currently in Spain, Barcelona. And after some consideration, my business partner and I are considering opening up a patient recruitment company. And we, of course, have a lot of questions, which might even be possible to have a conference on it in perhaps Mm -hmm. future Latinos in clinical research. Uh, So I'll try to be as concise as possible. Uh, We've been having trouble um, finding out price-wise how the market is uh, moving right now in Spain uh, because we don't want to run into a situation where we charge 20 and the market is moving on an average of 100, let's say. Uh, so, Are you open yet, Daniel? I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry? Uh, sorry? Have you opened up yet? No, 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 no. Nothing, nothing concrete yet. We're uh, barely starting on a business plan and gathering more people. I, I have a patient recruitment company that mm-hmm. might sell for a little bit. It's kind of tripping up. Uh, it's creating some conflict with my research because I can't refer my own patients. So mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. to my clinic um, or I'm not getting reimbursed. I may um, talk to you about it. And if you're not interested, I'll still help you with anything you need as far as set up a mirrored image of it. Um, oh. Perfect. Great. Especially that would be amazing. the pricing structures, what's really unique about patient uh, recruitment and offering it as a service. Exactly. So if yeah, you want because, to tell me separately, because it's a long conversation, I'd be happy to talk to you uh, at a oh, time. Perfect. Yes, because uh, also uh, let's consider that Spain is 20 times smaller than the U.S. So prices will definitely have to change. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily uh, the exact price. It's the pricing structure you, structure you mm, want. The model. Um, so the prices are relevant and customized to whatever trial you're recruiting for. Um, I wouldn't focus on price as much as price structure and how you offer it because you have to have a sellable product. Um, if you mm-hmm. want to contact me. And I also, um, I think you're thinking way too narrow if you're talking about just Spain it's a goal. It's a global marketplace right now. You can recruit patients worldwide, or at least places where you can you can target 
Uh, you can target your marketing, and if you can speak the language, you can re recruit patients patients there. Yeah. Oh well, yes. Uh, my partner and I both together speak five languages. So, well, that that's yeah. hopefully a. Uh, if you've got English and Spanish. You've got a good portion of the world covered. So, <laughs> English, Spanish, French, and Japanese. <laughs> Hello, I am the the partner. Uh, yes, this is I'm currently based in Peru. Awesome. Yes, our, was, our idea was to initially start in Peru and Spain uh, at the same time. So yes, that's that's a plan. But uh, I, I would love to talk more about it with you. My LinkedIn's on there. I, I've posted my email, I believe. Um, Perfect. Go, you can Perfect. contact me through the site. It's patientds.com as well. Like patientdelivery systems, patientds.com. Yeah, Daniel and Mary uh, Mayorga would like to talk to you too. So make sure, make sure we all connect with one another. Uh, everyone's putting their LinkedIn there. But if you need, like, if you're watching this and you you want to get connected to someone, you can't find them. Just message me on LinkedIn, and I'll uh, I'll uh, connect you. Perfect. Thank you very much. And I think that's it. I think that's it. But, but yeah, Barcelona. I love Barcelona. It's like my favorite city <laughs> in the too. world. I was living in Barcelona for <laughs> 14 doesn't? years. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. What is it? Like almost midnight there? You yeah. guys are just starting? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's 12. Two o'clock? Oh, hey, Dan. I did want to, before we let everybody go, um, I did want to mention to everybody, we will be doing um, a COVID series. This will be kind of, I think, um, and we haven't decided the official dates, but it's gonna be once uh, once a week or once every two weeks. Uh, then the first one we'll be doing is on vaccinations. We'll be going into research about the vaccinations that are already out, about the companies, the stats on the companies, um, how we're going to, how you address it, you know, with site staff or how you deal with patients or subjects that are going through uh, the vaccine while in the study. And very, very serious, like a very good, you know, current, hot topics that are up right now that everybody should be discussing. Um, after that, it'll be one more about clinic and sponsor life, uh, how it is you know, for you as a site PI or site CRC, what, what are you doing? Um, how are you addressing these things with your site staff, et cetera? So there's a lot of good things that are gonna be coming down uh, the pipelines, just so you know, uh, to keep your eye out and open um, on LinkedIn and also to please go to our website and make sure that you share your information with us, send us an email, Dan will be sending out an email to notify you um, all how to contact us to let us know a little bit more about you, you as a person, you as a, um, as a clinical researcher, as well as your site or your company or business so we can go ahead and start communicating with you on scheduling webinars and one-on-one -on -one interviews. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, please refer anyone you know to this group, any race, at any ethnicity, any anyone you can think of who's curious about research, wants to join research, uh, is already in research. As you can see, the networking effect um, is pretty powerful, even with a small group. So the bigger we get, the more time we'll dedicate to doing these mixers uh, at the end. Um, so please, please, please refer anyone you know or think might be remotely interested um, in this. And uh, we'd love to grow this, um, this group 
with you guys and grow our opportunities together. So thank you all very much. I'll send the replay out and I'll, um, I'll post this on YouTube as well and talk to you guys all soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Mm -hmm. Bye thank guys. You. Thank you. Bye. Thank, thank you. you.